Hello and welcome to episode 296 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And we are coming to you as usual in different locations. I'm in Seattle, Washington, home of the four-time WNBA champion, Storm. And I'm, and I'm coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 champion, Seattle Seahawks. Well, well, it is the Seahawks offseason, and we got it started the only way we know how, by bringing on Ben Baldwin as third Pelton brother to preview the offseason, do probabilities of returning for various key players and members of the coaching staff. And already, I feel like those estimates were way too low. Of <laughs> people coming back, yes. Uh, don't forget on that podcast, gloating about the dominant victory that I had in our over-unders for the year. Take that, analytics. You also did win last year as well, as it turned out. Two-time consecutive champion? But we wow. didn't have we did not have Ben on last year. Ben hadn't done the or yeah, Ben hadn't done the over-unders for a while, as it turns out. Wow. So it wasn't necessarily that the guests were mopping the floor with us. It was just that we were taking, taking turns, eking one out against each other. Because you did the Chargers, as you'll know, the listener who uh, uh, happened to, uh, to, to listen to that after the Chargers game already knew that they had sadly lost in overtime, not tied, and therefore had pushed their over-under. So it was officially 17-16, you beat me. I honestly can't believe that the Chargers weren't over this year. I mean, people were pretty confident about them going into the right into the regular season, but damn, really felt like an over season for them. Apparently, too confident since I took the under on them. But I'm taking the over next year. I'm calling it now. You without even knowing what it is, taking the over could be sixteen and a half. No, I. Too many people are against Brandon Staley for it to be sixteen and a half. <laughs> Anyways, if you haven't already listened to that Seahawks offseason preview, turn this podcast off. Do that now. Oh, just no matter what, do that. And then come back and we'll, we'll still be here. No. But uh, we do have a week, regular weekly podcast to get to. And that starts with this week's beer, which uh, I did realize now I did not put in the notes, but comes to us uh, from our friends at Fort George Brewing in oh. Oregon, the uh, Magnetic Fields IPA. Using brewing knowledge pulled from the four corners of the planet, Magnetic Fields will deliver a new IPA recipe to the Pacific Northwest every winter. This year features juice yeast and a heavy amount of Azaka, Estrada, and Citra dry hopping, electrifying your senses with an array of pineapple, stone fruit, and nectarine aromas and flavors. IPA tastes may be polarizing, but Magnetic Fields brings north, south, east, and west together with the irresistible force of lupulin ecstasy. Wow. The four corners of the planet and all three discs of 69 love songs. <laughs> the Magnetic Fields IPA. Let's go. Mm, that tastes of luckiest guy on the Lower East Side. There we go. <laughs> all right. We have a number of toasts this week. Starting, hey, We with... should just make the whole podcast out of the toast. I was looking at these toasts and I was like, this is it. I, this I is mean, the whole off season. Really, we just did some of the uh, sections. The, the WNBA, the storm section, got subsumed into what is, of course, our most important toast. To this, the is, return. this is a Pelton cast bottle, up, bottle episode, though. It's the all-toast episode. That's when we start getting artistic. We get our Dan Harmon on, and uh, then it's just all-toast. <laughs> well, I like it. I'm into it. Also, they're all bottle, bottle episodes. Uh, well, I guess it's only when we record in person, because then they're in the same room the entire time. And because I feel trapped. Oh, no. <laughs> but cheers to third Pelton brother, Sue Bird, who announced on go. Instagram Friday that she'll return for her 19th WNBA season after contemplating retirement after the end of 2021. I believe that's at least three more seasons now than Tristan expected. <laughs> uh, Bird is an unrestricted free agent, but uh, obviously safe to assume that she will be back <laughs> with the storm, which had to delete their tweet celebrating this because that was tampering and she is an unrestricted free agent. Uh, as a reminder, teams and players can begin negotiating in WNBA free agency on Saturday. Contracts can be formally signed starting February 1st. 
the Storm's other two All-Stars, Jewel Lloyd and Brianna Stewart, both unrestricted free agents as well. The Storm has until Friday to declare one of them a core player, essentially the WNBA equivalent of the franchise tag, and take them off the market. Jordan Canada, Mercedes Russell, and Stephanie Talbot, all restricted free agents after getting qualifying offers from the Storm, who should be busy in free agency. We've talked about this. They've got the opportunity, you know, if they get commitments from Jewel Lloyd and Brianna Stewart, to also go shopping for a veteran upgrade as well. So maybe more to come on this next week by the time we pod. All right. Well, uh, in Seahawks off-season style fashion, percentage chances of Sue Bird returning to the Storm? Uh, 100 I'm not even giving that to you're telling me there's a chance that she goes elsewhere. I like those odds. All right, next up, congrats to Russell Wilson, named the winner of the Bart Starr Award, which is presented by Athletes in Action annually to the player who best exemplifies outstanding character and leadership in the home, on the field, and in the community. Wilson is the third Seahawks winner, joining Steve Largent, the inaugural recipient in 1988, and Trent Dilfer in 2002. Now, the bad news, much like and I, the award that he won last year, this is presented the week of the Super Bowl. So it does mean Russell Wilson will probably be at the Super Bowl. Dear God, no. Hopefully. No. Well, we know that we know we could be pretty confident Antonio Brown is not going to be there. But Odell Beckham? Oh, my God. If Who's the worst case scenario to, for the Seahawks for Russell Wilson to see win a Super Bowl? I think it is Odell Beckham, even though they clearly tried to sign Odell Beckham Jr. In hindsight, yeah, they probably should have just claimed him off waivers. Uh, even if that would have no shit. put into their 2023 cap space wow, or 2022 okay. cap space. Uh, yeah, but I think the, the best case scenario, though, is Aaron Rodgers and the Packers make it as an example of someone else who was uncertain, wanted to trade at one point, but mended the fences and it proved that he could win with his current team. All right. The difference, go, of course, being that go, Aaron Rodgers... Yeah, that's that's a hard one to swallow, but that Aaron Rodgers and the Packers had been like the number one and number two seed each of the previous two seasons, right? It'd been upset in the playoffs. Not exactly where the Seahawks stand today. I love the idea of the revisionist history of the Seahawks claiming Odell Beckham, not because they would have made the playoffs had that happened. Probably the outcome of the playoffs still would have been the same, just so that Russell Wilson wouldn't have the opportunity to see Odell Beckham play in the Super Bowl. Exactly. It would be a, it would be a spite claim. <laughs> That's not a spite claim. I mean, he would probably have been be just be happier generally at the Seahawks claim, even setting aside the uh, the Super Bowl worst case scenario. All right, next up, congrats to a name we've talked about many times on the podcast in recent weeks. UW star Dylan Tevez Jr., who signed Tuesday with the Sounders as a homegrown product. He was previously in Sounders Academy and played for S2 as well before attending UW and was expected to be a top pick in Tuesday's MLS Super Draft had he opted against signing with the Sounders. As it turns out, a number of UW players were high picks. Wow. The Sounders traded their first-round pick to the Red Bulls for a New York's second-round pick and 75000 in general allocation money, eventually selecting another Husky defen- defender, Achille Robin, a native of France. Then three other UW products, or four other, I should say, UW products were drafted. Uh, defender Ryan Saylor, number nine, to Inter-Miami. Defender Kendall Burks, number 11, to Chicago Fire. Defender Charlie Ostrom, number 33, to the Fire. And midfielder Lucas Meek, number 37, to Inter-Miami. So all the UW players went in sets of two to Miami, Chicago, and Seattle all across the country. Really, really dominant about a performance by the Huskies in the- Wait, uh, did you mention the, the last player who went to Seattle? And then the third round of the draft, the Sounders took Seattle U midfielder Hal Uteritz. So wow. a lot of Seattle talent in the MLS draft. Have, have we ever really had UW players to cheer for in MLS? Uh, you're familiar with the rolled ants, correct? Okay, all right. So we have the rolled ants. I was very excited briefly when we had Darwin Jones, who was not only from UW, but also from my alma mater, Mount Rainier High School. Oh, but uh, his Sounders career was fairly short-lived. I mean, there's, there's, you know, there's a little bit of UW talent around there, but definitely an infusion of Tons it. Tons now. Tons. Not that you know, being drafted necessarily means you're going to play a lot for the first team right away. That's, uh, and, and probably Tevez won't either. I mean, he joins that group of developmental prospects that the Sounders have that you know, is kind of fighting for playing time and in playing key depth roles. So the anticipation is that Dylan Tevez probably will see 
first team action at some point during the season, potentially midweek games as we get later into the year? It's possible. Yeah. And I think probably more action with the Tacoma defiance. Uh, it was interesting. Craig Weibel, the, uh, Sounders, I want to call director of sporting, but I'm not sure if that's his exact title, who is also a Husky, uh, compared him to Kellen Rowe coming out of college. So oh, really, or entering the league or whenever that was. I don't know if he went to college. So is that a good comparison? <laughs> Kellen, Rose enjoyed a, Kellen Rose enjoyed a long MLS career. Yeah. I mean, look, Tevez is not, we're not expecting him to be like a star who's going to get sold to Europe in three years, but, you know, a nice depth piece for the Sounders. Okay. All right. All right, next up, this is uh, feels a bit belated, but it was announced after we recorded the podcast last week. Two Rashad Penny named NFC Offensive Player of the Week for Week 17 after running for 170 yards and two touchdowns against the Lions. Uh, I assume they have already announced this for Week 18 and that Rashad Penny did not get it for his, again, dominant performance against the Arizona Cardinals, but just a, just a general toast to Rashad Penny. Oh, absolutely. Are we going to talk more about Rashad Penny later in the podcast? <laughs> I didn't have it specifically in the Versus notes. It. I mean, you look at these postseason metrics that they have uh, that you see about running backs and Rashad Penny, knowing that he basically only had meaningful action in five games this season, seeing him with counting stats that mirror players like Jonathan Taylor and Nick Chubb for a full season. It is pretty bonkers what Rashad Penny achieved in that very short period of time. Now, if you were a negative person, you would say that the Seahawks offense massively overachieved during those weeks as Rashad Penny was massively overachieving and probably can't repeat that uh, long-term. Or if you're a positive person, you say that Rashad Penny is a generational talent and they need to bring him back. <laughs> I mean, uh, part of it is, look, compared to where they were the last six weeks of this season, they can afford to take a little bit of a step back and still be in pretty good shape offensively. Uh, they ended up, I mean, I don't know if we want to get too far into this. The Seahawks ended up, I think, 10th in weighted DVOA? Or was it 8th? Did they move all the way up to 8th? I thought eight? they were ninth. Well, somewhere 8th to 10th. No, maybe, scholars maybe are divided were, they, on it. They were in the top 10 of weighted DVOA. Which is pretty remarkable, all, all things considered, given, you know, the, the fact oh, that they... Good God. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. Got to love football. <laughs> We'll talk more about the Seahawks later. I, 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 we should talk more about that. We should, yes. Uh, last, oh, no, wait, I, I still have more on here. No, no. Next up. We'll, we'll talk about that later in the later Seahawks toast. Yes. Next up on the toast to uh, UW Nickelback slash safety Buki Radley Hiles, who announced he's entering the NFL draft. Is did Kyler Gordon make the official what had been reported last month by Crosscut? So uh, both of them, along with Trent McDuffie, off to the NFL, and we wish them the best there. But the Huskies' top returning cornerback, walk-on Michael Powell, was awarded a scholarship by Kalen DeBoer last week in a team meeting. So that, that was very exciting news. Uh, Huskies also got some fairly surprising news that they're going to get someone back from last year's team, learning Tuesday that they'll be getting back starting right guard Henry Bainivalu, who participated in senior day festivities, who has sort of assumed that he was going to graduate, but has decided to return for a sixth and final year of eligibility. And then lastly, this, this certainly isn't a toast, but uh, something I wanted to mention up here at the top, a hat tip to my friend, Matt Hewer, who pointed out that a, a GoFundMe has been arranged for Sonic's legend Slick Watts's care is he recovers from the stroke he suffered last April. That means he still requires full-time care. Hard to think of many people more Seattle as we consider that topic than Slick Watts, given his lifelong involvement in the Seattle basketball community at every level. So uh, certainly a worthy cause and, and one that the Pelton cast will be contributing to. Absolutely. Well, on that topic, we had a little listener feedback on our search for Seattle's most Seattle person, which we announced last week on the pod. We're still workshopping the concept a little bit. Definitely not workshopping the name, which is great and perfect. <laughs> They're probably probably... Search for Seattle's most Seattle person. Correct. Yes. Okay. Third Pelton Brothers, Zach Jabal, sent us an email at peltoncast at gmail.com if you have feedback, of course. Uh, my two cents on this is that if it's not an incredible burden, I think you should consider resolving the finals or semis or whatever of this, not with just a Twitter poll, but with some sort of trivia contest, either online or in person. Just feels like it would require folks to prove their chops instead of just boast about them. And this is where I've gotten to thinking. Okay. 
I feel like this almost needs to be like a pageant. A pageant? <laughs> like there's a trivia. It's a live show this year, but now we're hosting a pageant. I Not necessarily a live pageant, but there, there could be a trivia portion. I feel like that makes sense to incorporate, but I don't think it should strictly be based on trivia because... You know, some people are better naturally at trivia than others. It doesn't, you know, just because you're good at memorizing which landmarks are on Pike and which are on Pine, which is also an almost live uh, game show sketch, doesn't mean you're necessarily more Seattle than someone else who might forget those too, but, you know, exemplifies what it means to be Seattle, which again, apparently is wearing Crocs into the crocodile and getting made fun of. I don't think I was made fun of. Let me just clarify that. It, it was not made fun of that happened. It, it was just, a, it was a comment. There was no insult. Your Seattle cred was questioned and you were like, oh, no, 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 sir. Not only am I not not Seattle, I am the most Seattle. Exactly. Yes. I, I think that's the bigger question. Uh, or that's the, that's the bigger issue that was at bay there. It was not that I was insulted. It wasn't, there was, it wasn't mean spirited. And I don't want anybody to think from the crocodile that I was upset with the crocodile in any way. It was more just, it got me thinking about how one would assume by being not Seattle, it actually meant that I was the most Seattle. As that yeah. continuum often goes. Well, how about this? How about we do this? We, we didn't do a Pelton Cast Live uh, uh, this last fall. We talked about it. We planned for it. The Delta variant had different plans. And we'll see about this Omicron variant and what kind of plans that has in store for us. But what if... At Pelton Cast Live, we do it spring 2022. And not only do we resolve finally our search for Seattle's best fried chicken, we also resolve our search for Seattle's most Seattle person. We crown both of them. I'm intrigued. I'm listening. I mean, I, I definitely continue to welcome, we definitely continue to welcome feedback from people on what kind of makes sense here and, and how we should do this because it's, it's pretty open-ended at the moment. So we, we could do it as there could be a trivia portion and then instead of Twitter poll or whatever, we could go to audience vote of who the most, who Seattle's most Seattle person was. Correct. In the same way that for the fried chicken, we bring in the decider, provided he's not busy with his child, uh, <laughs> the decider, Zach Whitman, should he be able to get out of his house for a night? That makes a little bit more sense because not everybody's going to have had the two different fried chickens, right? right? So for audience to judge that, not necessarily a fair comparison. However- and They're always just going to vote for, in this case, Ezel's. Every single person who's in that audience is going to be qualified to judge who Seattle's most Seattle person is because by being there, you know that you're a very Seattle person. It, it goes without saying. Your Seattle cred is is confirmed that very night. I would certainly events. appreciate if someone said one of their credentials was going to Pelton Cast Lives in the past. Not the only one, but definitely appreciate it. Anyways, keep that feedback coming as we continue to work through this. Now when it's are time we officially for... announcing Seattle's most Seattle person. Maybe next week. When okay. we get a, when we've got it firmly, firmly solidified. But I think now it's time for the return of the Coach's Corner segment for the first time since, I think, last spring, basically, maybe early summer, when Baby Fantasy Genius had baseball. Uh, you are back to coaching your two oldest children. I'm back, baby. Did you say there was a listener question? There is a listener question related to this. You want to start with that? Sure. I can't believe that there is a listener question. So so this came via DM from at GoHuskies1978 on Twitter. Excited for the return of Coach's Corner. Question, I'm coaching third grade boys this year who last played as first graders. I think your team is one year older. Did you run plays slash sets or just a free-for-all? Trying to gauge what U8, U9 looks like. Any good resources you'd recommend? Wow. Uh, you have come to the wrong place. <laughs> uh, it's a great question. And uh, I wish that I had a better answer for it. But I'm not out here to 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 speak ill of fourth graders so i don't have much of an answer for it no i i, I was it's been a long time since these kids have played basketball how about that and i think 
more than discuss the basketball bill because for both teams, I'm actually coaching two teams because what's better than coaching one team too? The, I thought it would be it's, better. It's now you're, you're a moth to two different flames. <laughs> and, and look, I have another child coming down the pike, right? For basketball, not not giving birth to another child. <laughs> Basketball-wise, having another child coming down the pike. Oh, you are giving birth to any children at any point. I may be coaching three teams at some point soon. I would love to run plays. I would love to get, for me, spacing, passing, understanding how to get into space and be able to make a pass that your teammate is going to be able to catch. That would be phenomenal if we could do that. Right now, I think we're working a little bit more on like the basics of basketball, of like staying in the inbounds, right? <laughs> Passing it in, staying in bounds, dribbling, stuff like that. Like that's that's kind of where we're at right now. Uh, so go Huskies 1978. I think you might be coaching a little bit more advanced children here, which I think <laughs> would be very fun. But he also followed up and said we're, he's debating Romar's motion with a uh, standard flex. Probably won't go with Hop's quote. Whatever. God, I, I would have so much fun actually being able to coach. Like that's I, at some point I'll be able to like, there's sort of a window where it's like, I, I was, I was unsure heading into fourth grade coaching. If like the level of play would be above me, you know, if the kids would be so good, they'd be like, we're not going to pay attention to you coach. And I quickly learned that that was not going to be the case, but like, I would, I feel like there's an exact perfect window where I can do some shit, but also not hold the kids back from getting like actual good coaching and maybe sixth grade is that that place. I think so. Where it's like we could, I could really do a little bit of coaching. We could talk about ball movement. But at this point, it's like we have two two practices before we start playing games. It is a free for all. It is chaos. Uh, but so I asked the older kids. I'm coaching first grade and fourth grade. Asked the older kids who their favorite basketball player was uh, as as an icebreaker type question to get to know them. And who do you think was the most common answer? Who is the it's take it, taking a random selection of about ten year olds in Renton, Washington? Who do you think is the most popular basketball player? So I'm guessing my guess is that they've moved on even past they moved on past LeBron moved on well Space Jam was out there in the past year so I don't I can't totally rule that out it moved even past Steph Curry and gone to someone younger so my my first thought is Lamelo Ball. <laughs> Wow, LaMelo Ball, you have overthought this question in the same way that Go Huskies 1978 overthought <laughs> oh that question. Oh, dear. Uh, I think we had three Steph Currys, which I was a little bit surprised how big Steph Curry is with the kids. I mean, I'm not surprised by that. Three Steph Currys. I think there were two LeBrons. There was one Dame Lillard. Guess whose child that was? Um, <laughs> there was one Michael Jordan. I think there was one Kevin Durant, maybe. And there was at least one pass. Okay. So Steph Curry was the answer. Oh, Steph Curry. By far. A lot of those kids love Steph Curry. And, I, and they, they also showed their love for Steph Curry by thinking they could shoot the ball from like oh, 30 no. feet away and airballing it. Dame Lillard, too. <laughs> Getting the kids, I talked to them and I'm like, layups are the most important shots we can take. All we, let's just... Let's just take layups. Let's get as close to the hoop as we humanly can and take layups. And, you know, we're going to keep working on that. <laughs> it's a process. You've got those whole t- two whole practices to get them together on that same page. Well, in true coaching in 2022 fashion, this week's practice was canceled because of COVID. <sighs> yes. And unfortunately, it's something that we're all dealing with right now, including professional sports leagues. So, you know, me and professional sports coaches are definitely a, uh, dealing with the same thing. So I don't know if I'll have much of a coach's corner next week. Oh, I guess it'll be after practice. Yeah. Which is, I believe, my last practice before there's a game. Oh, my God. <laughs> Good luck with all that. Well, speaking of teams having games postponed Hello. due to COVID, the Seattle Kraken finally didn't have a game postponed on Monday as they played for the first time since New Year's Day on Monday at Colorado, suffering a 4-3 loss. Uh, extending their losing streak to six games dating back to December 14th because of all the postponements. But 
Good news here. No future games have been postponed. So the Kraken should be able to get a little bit of momentum going here. And they actually played pretty well against a potent Colorado attack after getting blown out 7-3 when those teams played in Seattle back in November, which was my first Kraken game. Uh, so the road trip continuing back-to-back Wednesday and Thursday at Dallas and St. Louis. And then they return home to Climate Pledge Arena for, again, the first time since New Year's Day to host Kings on Saturday and Chicago on Monday on uh, MLK Day. Wow, I just thought of something about the Kraken curse. What's that? The Kraken curse made Rashad Penny good at the end of this last season. Intriguing. You know, someone replied that Sue Bird was fighting against the Kraken curse, but maybe Rashad Penny is as well. No, Rashad Penny is not. Rashad Penny is all part of it. As That's a long play, I guess. Think about the curse. Here's what happens. You get your hopes up. Rashad Penny has a breakout at the end of the season. Everybody's like, you know what? The offense is good now. Let's run it back. And we're running it back based upon the high-level play of a running back who's been injured for more than half of the games uh, that he would have hypothetically been available. Ultimately, we run it back with our 79-year-old head coach. Maybe just 70. 70? Okay, I added a decade on there. With our (laughs) 70-year-old head coach, and we said, now is the time that he's going to learn. We ran it back with Russell Wilson, who was disgruntled after making the playoffs, after winning the NFC West. And we said to ourselves, that's 7-10 and season. That's what we're going to build on. This is the most advanced curse we have (laughs) ever dealt with. This curse gave us a month of good play. This curse convinced us that we should just ignore losing to the Bears and say that everything is good at the end of the season. I... I feel like if you define it this way, if you go with the, what does Nate Silver call it? The 13 dimensional chess theory. Like you can define anything as part of the Kraken curse by that point. That's what this is though. UW men's basketball won a game. It was just to get our hopes up. Well, but I'm saying they, is long-term UW basketball going to be good now because they won a game? I'm not saying that. I'm saying it can't both be, Every time a team loses, it's the Kraken curse. And every time a team wins, it's the Kraken curse. If every time the team wins, it's to get them to 7-10 and 10, and then say to yourself, yeah, we need to run it back after that. I mean, That Russell, was a good season. Russell Wilson saying he wants to run it back, I think was the goal. I think that was the hope, wasn't it? Would you want I, it, Russell Wilson to demand a trade? I really don't even know now. <laughs> okay. I, I'm just telling okay. you. you I, it just hit me. It, it really, because I was like, wow, is the curse over? Rashad Penny played well at the end of the year. And then I thought to myself, did you actually just think to yourself that the curse was over because Rashad Penny played well at the end of the year to get the team to seven and 10? That's what the curse is about. Come on. I can't believe it was right there in front of us and we missed it. <laughs> you just said, you just said that the Kraken played well because they lost what to the Colorado Avalanche? Four to three. Okay, well, I, I guess that actually was closer. Yeah, than that checks out. No, the seven to two was the previous matchup. Uh, wow. Some more Sounders news. We'll see how this affects the curse. The Sounders <laughs> broadcaster Keith Costigan tweeted Saturday suggesting that the negotiations between former Real Salt Lake midfielder Elbert Rushnak and the team reported by Sounder at heart last week have resulted in a deal. Uh, GM Garth Lagerway on Tuesday during the MLS Superdraft broadcast acknowledged those negotiations with Rushnak, but said no deal has been reached as yet. Lagerway did say that backup goalkeeper Stefan Cleveland has re-signed as a free agent, ensuring that the Sounders' back line will stay all Stefan, at least uh, for the go. top two keepers, for the foreseeable future. And also the negotiations with Will Bruin and Alex Roldan, who remain free agents, technically have been going well enough that both are expected to participate when 2022 training starts on Friday. Speaking of training, Sounder at Heart also reported this week that the Sounders are planning planning to build a new training facility on the former site of the Long Acres racetrack in Tequila, which was recently vacated by Boeing. That location, location is just a few minutes south from their current home at the Starfire Complex in Tequila. And you got to keep Tequila, Washington is home of the Sounders. Uh, that report also indicated the facility won't likely open until at least 2024. Okay, think about the curse. It took... <laughs> Long Acres racetrack from us. 
There used to be a racetrack in Tequila, Washington, visible from our grandparents' house. Gone! I don't think you could see the log hangers from our grandparents' house. I hate to break it to you. You could see Boeing from our grandparents' house. You, you could see various Boeing buildings. Not that one, though. There's, wow. there's a lot of Boeing buildings. You could see Boeing Field, if that's what you're saying. They're gone, too. The, the Kraken curse, well, <laughs> like the Kraken curse operated decades in the past now. Apparently the Kraken... The Kraken curse is just capitalism in this case. <laughs> we may check out. Capitalism actually. is a curse, so that checks out. Honestly, the Kraken curse is capitalism. That's what's <laughs> I mean, at the heart of this, right? I, I, I don't deny that part of it. I'm just not sure that everything that happens, good or bad, ill or <laughs> positive, is always the Kraken curse. Uh, you know, women's basketball. This is like the It's Always Sunny Charlie meme. That's what I've gotten to with the curse. <laughs> 100% is. I agree with that. Someone photoshopped that. The, I, I'm telling you right now, that when you really think about the Seahawks end of the season, when you really think about what happened. I mean, yes. I'll talk positively about them next year later in this podcast. But when you really think about it, just think about they went 7-10. and 10. And we took this as a more positive season than last year when they were 13 and three. Was that the record? I believe they were 12 and four. They were 12 and four. Think about what we would have given to be 12 and four this year. I mean, it would have been really weird if we had two ties or a tie. Give it up a game, a whole game. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I, I think part of it is, you you have this is the peak end theory from Daniel Kahneman that what you remember most about something the the way end of something affects your the way you remember it in some ways more than the actual experience did so even though the Seahawks as Seahawks fans we experienced a lot of disappointment over the season it was such a positive end that that's what we remember better it's also recency bias I guess that that's too. why the curse is so genius though it gave us. A win against the Lions and the Cardinals, who we knew were bad. We went into that game both feeling very confident the Seahawks were going to win the game. Yeah, I don't know if I was very confident. What did we put as percentage chances of victory? It was absurdly high, given everything. I think I had like 40 or 45. All right, you know, women's basketball <sighs> did not travel last weekend to face the Arizona schools. Those games again postponed due to COVID cases within the UW program. They are now scheduled to play for the first time since December 20th this weekend at the LA schools. Uh, Bruins currently a disappointing five and four, having returned from their own pause to lose their Pac 12 opener at Colorado on Sunday. Uh, Trojans eight and three under four, former Cal head coach Lindsey Gottlieb, who left an assistant role with the Cleveland Cavaliers to take the USC job last spring. They are coming off a shocking 76-67 win over undefeated Arizona in L.A. on Sunday after also losing their Pac-12 opener at Colorado on Friday. UW Men's Basketball, I alluded this to this earlier. Tristan's first bold prediction for 2022, already scratching it out. That's cursed it too. <laughs> because he said the Duskies were going to go winless in Pac-12 play, and I told him that's very hard to do, and they proved it with their 74-68 win Thursday at Utah. Uh, they were down 14 with 14-16 remaining in that game, but outscored Utah 38-18 the remainder of the way, including a 14-2 run in the late stages to open up a seven-point lead with a little under four minutes to play. They then went scoreless for more than three minutes playing prevent offense, but four free throws in the final minute were enough to hold off the Utes. Huskies had a season-high 17 assists in this game, including eight from Terrell Brown Jr., uh, alas, they could not carry that over sun Sunday at Colorado. As Brown shot four of 16 from the field, the team went 11 of 35 on two-point attempts and got crushed on the glass, giving up 11 offensive rebounds and pointing down just three of their own in a 78-64 loss to Colorado. The key storyline of the weekend was the emergence of Cole Bajima, who went 11 of 15 from three-point range and wow. scored a combined 33 points, exceeding his previous season total of 26 and nearly matching his previous career total of 15 threes. Will this continue? Probably not. No. <laughs> I thought you were going to bring in some sort of stats or analytics there to prove why it would or wouldn't, but it was just now. Nah. No, I mean, I think Cole Bajama will get more respect from defenses, and it's definitely a positive long-term, but I don't think he's going to continue making 
nearly 70, 80% of his threes. Uh, Huskies played those two games without center Riley Soren, who was in COVID protocol. So a lot of small ball in these games. That was another thing that gave Bajima more opportunity to play. Nate Roberts spent a lot of time in foul trouble. So they went small with uh, Emmett Matthews uh, in the middle and, and Bajima out there, giving them more floor spacing. Maybe a, maybe a look they should continue going forward, even though it, it definitely struggles on the glass as we saw at Colorado. Husky scheduled this weekend to host the Bay Area schools. Cal started conference play two and one under second year coach Mark Fox before losing both games at home to the LA schools last weekend. They're number 52 in adjusted defensive efficiency, according to KenPalm.com, but 171st on offense and playing at one of Division One's slowest tempo, tempos will be an interesting matchup given that small ball I just talked about because they have a powerful, experienced front line of 6'9 seniors, Grant Antisevich and Andre Kelly. Stanford hadn't played since December 23rd due to a COVID pause before handing number five USC its first loss on Tuesday in a postponed game. Cardinals split their first two non-two conference matchups, losing at Colorado but beating Oregon at home. No bad losses yet, but their best non-conference win was against Wyoming, who you may recall won at Hackhead in Hawaii. Uh, balanced team in the top 100 on both ends coming into today's game, and the player to watch for them is six-eight freshman Harrison Ingram, a good rebounder and distributor. Shooting is a bit of a question mark, sort of like his Stanford predecessor Zaire Williams, who's now in the NBA with the red-hot Memphis Grizzlies. There we go. Ingram had 20 and 10 Tuesday in the win over USC. Ah. Uh, you have to be reminding me when these games are taking place. Okay. I'll, I'll be sure to shoot you a, a text. This Wednesday is the Cal game Saturday against Stanford. That'll be opposite the NFL playoffs. This, this is full on Sounders rules that are taking place here. <laughs> Anytime you find yourself tuning into UW basketball, you just, you just let me know. I'll admit on Sunday, I did not find myself tuning into UW basketball since I had red zone on one screen and the Seahawks streaming on the other. I, I didn't even know what was happening. I thought they were 1-0 in conference play. Oh, that was a real disappointment to you to find out that they had lost. <laughs> Maybe the, you thought they were going to go winless, go undefeated instead of go winless <laughs> in conference play. Oh, that would have been a real... I, I, the Kraken curse would have been super powerful or something in that case. So that loss uh, for USC, that was earlier tonight? It was this afternoon, actually. I didn't realize the game started at like three or something. Oh, normal stuff. Yeah. You know, it's, it's strange times. Uh, I, I was surprised, though, to see how many Pac-12 teams there were in the top 10 of the rankings. I, I clicked on the college basketball rankings and was just like, what am I seeing here? What year have we transported back to, to see three PAC 12 teams in the top 10? It was shocking to see. It's a radically different PAC 12 than we've seen for almost a decade. Yeah. I mean, I said earlier, it's a extremely top heavy league where those three teams are extremely good and everyone else, there's an enormous gulf between those top three and everyone else. Now that didn't stop USC from winning, but also the fact that four of the top six schools in the country is of this week's rankings hailed from the West coast. When you add in Gonzaga, by the way, do you want to do our USF update? I did not put this in the notes, but they, they had, uh, I think all the West coast conference games on, on Thursday were canceled. So they instead put together at the last minute, a neutral site matchup in salt Lake against Loyola, Chicago, the uh, school that was the darling of last year's NCAA tournament lost that one 79-74, but a good loss certainly for USF. Then they beat San Diego 88-73 at home in their postponed West Coast Conference opener. And remind me, what is the name of their coach? Todd Golden. And I've got bad Todd news. Todd Golden. Oh, no. So oh, I said, God. oh, maybe there's not going to be that co much competition for him. Uh, well, you know who it turns out badly wants Todd Golden? Who? The fans of Arizona State. He's a Phoenix native, as we talked uh, about on the pod. I was going to say, Arizona State, is that a better job? They won. They won. The in, house that Sendek built? They won in Tempe. was one of USF's wins this year, 66-65. Uh, Bobby Hurley is making about the same amount as Mike Hopkins, has one year less on his deal. Now, he's actually been far more successful at Arizona State than Mike Hopkins has at UW, but... Back-to-back, back, it was a down season last year where they started out in the top 25, finished 11-14, and, and then they are off to a 5-8 and eight start to this season. So 
that seat in Arizona in the in Tempe starting to get a little warm for Bobby Hurley. So if you know the the real cracking curse would be if the Sun Devils continue to struggle. <laughs> That's we've got all sorts of things we're cheering for right now. <laughs> it's very complicated. So, so you need the Packers to go to the Super Bowl instead of the Rams. Yeah. And Arizona State to run. This off is what happens straight. when sports are this bad in the city of Seattle. All of a sudden we're doing USF updates and cheering for Arizona State. We're saying go pack go on this podcast. Like it is, it is complicated. We're also going to, I'm also going to possibly hainer us in a second here. Oh no. Running backs matter all of a sudden. Wow. All right. A Utah football update. I do like that Todd Golden update though. I'm excited to keep following that season. Yeah. It's a fun, fun thing to do. Uh, wide receiver Jeremy Bernard, who was UW's top rated 2022 Ugh. recruit, announced last week that uh, he had been granted a release from his his letter of intent after Junior Adams' departure his his position coach, and instead he signed with Michigan State. To, uh, Michigan start. State? Come on. Fuck Michigan no, State. He will, he will actually be here in week three of the uh, 2022 season. So one possible no game that I want to win more next year than that Michigan State game. Uh, you're sure it's not the Oregon game? Uh, it, there's just something about Mel Tucker making nine and a half million dollars in the exact same state that can't get clean water for its for its citizens, where it's just like the idea of that happening, these two things happening at the same time, which granted the money is already spent, but like that is it is too deeply upsetting about the sport of college football. At least it's nice that it's Mel Tucker who's the beneficiary in this case and not Jim Harbaugh who did take a pay cut before this past season. He'll get a bump. He'll get a bump after this year. They went to the playoff. And Stephen Ross may make sure of it. <laughs> uh, so one possible... That, that it's not Urban Meyer or somebody like that. Like that, that I will accept. That yes. it's Mel Tucker and it's, and it's not somebody who's just like... I'm sure Mel Tucker is a fine person. This is nothing personal against Mel Tucker. It's they, they, just, don't, they don't think too, too highly of him in Colorado, as it turns out. But fair yes. enough. Look, they don't think highly of Lane Kiffin in Tennessee, but that doesn't mean that Lane Kiffin isn't great. The, but there's just some something about. <laughs> is this you laughing about Lane Kiffin being great? Sports fandom is strange, is what I to say. <laughs> Lane Kiffin, awesome job getting his team vaccinated. Undoubtedly. Mm-hmm. All right, so to get our hopes up unnecessarily here, one possible addition to UW's depth chart at receiver is Kennedy Catholic wide receiver Lanyata Alexander, who reportedly added his name to the transfer portal after playing two games as a true freshman at Arizona State. Alexander was one of Sam Heward's top targets at Kennedy, along with UW wide receiver Jabez Tine. So... I mean, there, there's there's a lot there's a lot of smoke around this. And yes. look, if, if there's one thing that has worked out for UW, it is graduates of Kennedy Catholic High School. Just you know, they come in highly rated and then they just perform when they get here. You're so the one delivering this message. That's how I want to get my hopes up right now. Well, well, hopefully we will not give ourselves a full hater on this one. No, you. But you do also have to say right. You have to look at this and say, returning home. Brock Heward, Dane Looker, right? If you could have a connection like that, oh, the two I players see. who okay. played together in high school coming back, uh, coming back to Seattle for Lignata Alexander, like th- there's a symmetry there. Don't think there's not. Yeah, it checks out. That makes sense. All right, should we talk about the Seahawks? That's it. Wow, we're, we're already here. Uh, we're... I mean, it was a news heavy and a toast heavy, but there's not like a lot of analysis this week or discussion this week. Uh, uh, so the, the biggest piece of news, I would say, actually, from the past 48 hours with the Seahawks is that backup quarterback Geno Smith was arrested early Monday morning on suspicion of DUI. A Washington State Patrol report indicated that an officer observed Smith traveling 96 miles an hour on I-90 across Mercer Island before he was stopped. Smith will be an unrestricted free agent, but participated in exit meetings with the team on Monday per Pete Carroll, who had no other comment. Uh, no charges filed as yet. Uh, the report also indicated that they're waiting for the results of a blood draw uh, to determine his blood alcohol level before determining any charges. And, and you have to look at it and say, I, I mean, I think it's unlikely that he'll be back, but also looking at the tragic thing that happened with Henry Ruggs earlier in the year, like this is something that is a very serious matter. And we can't just look at it. I was thinking about this 
just because of the outcome that happened with Henry Ruggs being so tragic, the process was still the issue, though. And having the DUI arrests that happened to begin with, that is a much bigger concern overall than just looking at the outcome. And it's like the Henry Ruggs situation is more tragic because of the outcome, but the the actual process of the speeding and drunk driving at the same time are what put you into those positions. And you look like you're about to say something. Well, I think we also have to give, you know, Geno Smith the chance to tell his side of the story. Certainly, you know, did indicate and in, in also in a statement from his attorney to uh, encourage people to wait until the, the facts all play out. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Of course. But but I, what I'm saying is this is a very serious thing. And, and I think that we, we look at drunk driving and speeding as if it's just that the person is pulled over if there's no collision or something like that, where it's like, oh, that's not that big of a deal. But the the next step is obviously the much more severe outcome. So, uh, I mean, yes, that's the reason that it is in and of itself a crime, even if nobody is actually victimized, because there's a potential for that to happen. Uh, the other thing I think that came up the last couple of days in the Seahawks postseason availability is Pete Carroll continuing to maintain that both he and John Schneider were doing fine in terms of next season and sound very much like a coach who expects that he's going to be retained by the Seahawks. It, I don't think that that necessarily guarantees that Pete Carroll is not going to get fired at any point, certainly this off season, but even like after he actually meets with Jody Allen, but I've, I've revised my priors upward, I would say. And they were, they were already higher than yours and Ben's. Why have you revised your priors upwards? I mean, I don't necessarily think that he was going to get fired one day. I, I think given the success that Pete Carroll has had with the Seahawks, he probably deserved more than the standard, you know, we wish him well in his future endeavors situation on Monday morning. But I, it, it definitely seems more likely to me. I mean, still the same issue is out there that, you know, if Russell Wilson says it's me or Pete Carroll, then that's a very different decision for Jody Allen and Burke Coldy than, you know, if it's just, should we bring him back based on the fact that we went seven and 10 this season, which I think for the reasons we laid out on Sunday and even talked about earlier is we, now you have attributed to the Kraken. Uh, <laughs> now you've attributed to the Kraken. <laughs> does seem unlikely. Uh, I mean, I, I, I agree. I suppose I would be, very surprised if Pete Carroll was not the head coach of the Seahawks next season. And at the same time, I just think we talked about this in the postseason podcast, but what Pete Carroll says right now doesn't necessarily indicate what's going to happen, but it just doesn't feel like there's they ended the season in a pretty good place. If you were Pete Carroll and you felt like you needed to present something to Jody Allen, if Jody Allen is saying and Burt Coldy are saying, what is the plan here? I think if you're Pete Carroll, you could go back to them with every single thing we've talked about, all of the optimism that we've had, and say, why would you not feel optimistic about this going forward? Because we had a season that by by many accounts was, you know, the worst season that the Seahawks have had in over a decade. And at the same time, they had Russell Wilson out for three games, clearly injured for at least three more games. And they still finished the year eighth the DVOA. They like, had a cursed season. And the cursed season was them finishing eighth the DVOA. It's pretty wild, actually. It, ultimately, if you take a step back, if, if we would have seen this in an outside perspective rather than living the season, if we would have seen these numbers from an outside perspective, you would have looked at it and said the Seahawks were ridiculously unlucky this season. And you know what? The Seahawks were ridiculously unlucky this season. When you look at those third down numbers, when you look at some of the turnover numbers, when you even break down the micro plays that happened, they were unlucky over and over and over again. And there was basically nothing that went right for them luck-wise. I, I think it's, it's not necessarily hard to make an argument about why the team should move on, but I, I do think, again, I said this on Sunday, when you factor in the, the whole variable of outcomes that could happen when you do move on from a coach like Pete Carroll. Again, we as fans don't get to choose who the next head coach is. 
I think there's a certain profile of a head coach that has done quite well. And seeing, you know, see Ben go back and look at these like grades for coaches. And obviously with the benefit of hindsight, <laughs> yeah. we, were... we know with the benefit of hindsight, how absurd it looks, these different hires and ranking these hires, but there's a type of coach who seems like they do quite well. And that is typically younger, typically more offensive minded head coaches. The ones that don't seem to end up doing, I, I guess Freddie Kitchens was an offensive coordinator. There've been some offensive He, he was not a young offensive coordinator. Yes. But there have been some offensive coaches that haven't worked out well. But you can see around the league the types of coaches who probably will end up being successful head coaches. But, you know, I think, I don't remember which season it was that Ben broke down. But there there was multiple. There was one where he outlined all of the hires that was two seasons ago when when Matt LaFleur was hired by the Packers, Cliff Kingsbury, et cetera. And the commonality between those coaches and their success was the quarterback. So, like, if the Seahawks were to hire an offensive-minded quarterback or coach, they probably would be successful because they have the quarterback. Right. I, I don't necessarily doubt that. And most of the coaches who've been unsuccessful don't have the quarterback. And I think that that how I'm currently viewing even coaching success is I, there's just it cannot exist independent of a quarterback. And I'm not sure if we can even necessarily judge these coaches independent of their quarterback. There's some who've exceeded their quarterback value, which is great. I'm not sure if that's going to be true long-term though. And the only thing that is consistent long-term is good quarterbacks win football games in the NFL. And that's basically it. Which is where you come back to, look, if the Seahawks have learned that lesson, then if Russell Wilson is like, it's him or me, then you have to choose Russell Wilson. Of course. But we just, I, I, we're not seeing that that is a likely conversation to happen right now. From what until, until Russell Wilson goes to the Super Bowl and sees Odell Beckham Jr. and Matthew Stafford win a or Super whomever. Bowl. He might see Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur and be like the Packers fired Mike McCarthy and now they're back here. Mike Fair. McCarthy probably would be in a similar position that Matt LaFleur is in though. Aaron Rodgers was going to have going to bounce back. He'd been injury plagued mm. for a handful of seasons. He'd be, Mike McCarthy was fired because of what's like now he has a quarterback in Dallas and Mike McCarthy's successful. They did finish number one in TV. That's what I'm saying. Like the coach coaches don't matter. How about that? Dallas finished like 13 spots ahead of Green Bay and DVOA. I think Green Bay is behind the Seahawks and weighted DVOA. I'm pretty sure. Running backs matter more than coaches do. So I I guess one spot ahead of the Seahawks and weighted DVOA, I should say they did finish behind the Seahawks in overall DVOA. What I am saying is that I'm not convinced that coaches matter at all. And Pete Carroll is very good at all of the intangible aspects of being a head coach. And that's it. How Their defense is going to perform how their defense is going to perform. So then why are you saying it's a curse that they're keeping Pete Carroll? No, no. I'm mostly joking about that. I'm telling you right now, this team is going to win the NFC West next year. It's clear. We can all see it coming. I mean, I don't think it's clear they are going to win the NFC West. I think it's if, there's a reasonable case to, that they should be favorites. If you were to rank the percentage chances of each of the teams, I mean, they're all basically the same because the NFC West is fucking loaded. But like, I think you give the Seahawks a slight edge because of schedule. And they didn't finish again and waited DVOA that far behind the Rams. Or the 49ers actually finished top the division. So... The 49ers do get a third place schedule. I'm not exactly sure off the top of my head what that looks like, how much less favorable that is compared to the Seahawks. Well, last who are, who are schedule. the extra games that the Seahawks play, right? It's, it's the, the Lions, Giant, Jets, and Giants. The Lions, the Jets, the Giants. Yeah. I mean, wow. Right? I mean, sure, they're going to lose one of those in embarrassing fashion, but... It doesn't matter, though. But, like, adding those games vis-a-vis what another team has to play, the Rams having to play the Packers, the Bills, and the Cowboys, is that right? That is correct. Uh, for San Maybe Francisco... The through the game on Sunday. For San Francisco, which when it finished, like that? <laughs> that is a real guy. I mean, they have to play the Patriots. I don't know if that's that much easier. Uh, 49ers get Dolphins, Washington football team, Bears. Okay. So it's not a huge difference between third and fourth. And I, I think, so taking those, the way that you would approach it is the Seahawks probably have the best chance of winning the NFC West next season. The 49ers probably have the second best chance. 
than yeah. probably the Rams and the Cardinals, but they're all probably about 25%. And what I mean, that's what we said much of this offseason when you were adamant and maintaining the Cardinals chances were underrated because they weren't in that group with the the other three teams. And you were correct about that. I think the team that's going to finish fourth in the NFC West next year is going to be the team whose quarterback gets injured. That's it. Yeah. So if if you approach it from this perspective that coaches don't matter all that much. Next Seahawks head coach, Alex Alex Guerrero. It really doesn't matter. Give him Russell Wilson. It doesn't matter. But if you approach it from this perspective that coaches don't matter all that much, that the roster and the quarterback are really what matters, then Pete Carroll is very good at every other aspect of being a head coach. Even I think even Russell Wilson likes Pete Carroll. Like, I don't know if there's like a deep personal animosity between the two of them. Pete Carroll seems like a very likable guy, right? I think he just gets frustrated sometimes. Is we get frustrated with Pete Carroll? Of course we get frustrated. But this is a team that is eighth in DVOA, that is a fourth place schedule next year, that is able, if they want to, to bring back most of their core and is also able to clear some salary cap and go out and make moves in free agency if they want to. Run it back. Well, we've ended up here. We have really talked ourselves into it. The rationalization is complete. It's not rationalization, though. It is this this is common sense thinking about what happens. They finished eighth in DVOA. I'm just saying, I want you to, to deliver this message to week seven of 2022, Tristan. To, Next year? Yeah. I'll be like, wow, really throttled the lines. Let's go. No, no, there's going to be a moment where it's going to be a, a home loss to Arizona with insert random backup quarterback here. Colt McCoy. Nick Foles. To Arizona? There. Nick Foles goes there, leads the Cardinals to a victory in Seattle because they always win in Seattle. No He'll matter be who's the a backup because Kyler will be gone and Colt McCoy will oh, be the starter wow. and injured because Colt oh, McCoy wow. is a better quarterback than Kyler Murray is. Uh, I, I don't. I'm not willing to endorse that take. I think Kyler Murray with a healthy DeAndre Hopkins has been quite effective. Did DeAndre Hopkins play in that Seahawks game? I don't think he did play in that Cole McCoy performance, no. But uh, Cole McCoy uniquely equipped to pick apart the Seahawks defense. That's the thing that Kyler hasn't. He hasn't learned just how to pick apart the Seahawks defense yet. It'll happen. You have to be like 38 years old. <laughs> I mean, look, he'll play them enough. Odds are that he'll get there. Jimmy Garoppolo's played them enough. Well, what does he learn? Jimmy Garoppolo can play them for like a hundred times. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo actually had an amazing game on Sunday. I don't know. Against the Rams. We know what the Niners do against the Rams. We understand this. It is, it is very much an NFC West rock, paper, scissors. Uh, I guess uh, we need the, what is it? Rock, paper, scissors. What's the third, fourth thing? Shoot. No, it's like Spock or something like that, isn't it? But, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, based upon this dialogue, look, we don't know if Russell Wilson's going to be unhappy. I was looking around at, at the draft order. You know, the draft capital that they have this year is better than last season. I think there's definitely something to just like being off the Jamal Adams trade draft wise that is very freeing mentally. So it's like, get there, get that over with. It happened. It's done. It's a sunk cost. But the draft capital that they have is significantly better. Being able to work with a fairly high, you know, a pick that I think was 42. Is that the, the second round pick? Um, I mean, it's the same. Yeah, they, they ended up with the 10th pick. They didn't give up. They gave up a bad pick to the Jets, but it wasn't like devastatingly bad. It wasn't like they traded the number three pick in the draft for Laramie Tunsil or something like that. You know, like it's still, it was a bad trade, but it's something where it's done. It's over with. They have better capital now. They'll be able to go find talent in the draft and have, you know, I still have confidence that John Schneider can take that pick and be able to move down from there and find more draft capital, you know. I still, there's still some points where it's like the Seahawks know how to do this. And, you know, I think the way that they think about free agency might have to change a little bit and we'll see. 
I mean, they've shown that their plan in free agency has adjusted over the years. At no point have they necessarily, I want to say, figured it out post Michael Bennett, Cliff Avril, but like they've adjusted the strategy at the very least. So, I mean, it's interesting that they've been willing to make big plays via trade, but not via free agency. It's I, I, the contradiction there is a little difficult to understand. I would say it's worse. They've prioritized the worst. Oh no! Oh no! Right. I mean, if I'm, you trade for someone going into the last year of their deal, and you assume that we're going to get a comp pick that's going to be, you know, a round or two lower than the pick that we give up in a year later, but we get the player for a year, that's not a bad strategy. No. And but, and we also know there's so many unknowns about football that the Seahawks are probably in on most of these conversations about sort of aging players who are changing teams and the Seahawks were right there on Tom Brady. <laughs> not Tom Brady. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> the JJ Watt types, players like that. Yes. And are they going to end up with one? They probably will. Like, I, I just... The, the Odell Beckham conversations, I mean, not, not that he's aging necessarily, but... I don't know. We're going to go... It's a very, very long offseason. A lot is going to happen. But in this moment, and, you know, we probably will stop talking about the Seahawks for a period of time. Things will fade for a little bit. And then as we bring it back, we'll be reminded... This was a pretty good team in 2021. They're playing a fourth place schedule and God willing, Russell Wilson will be, will be healthy. And that's kind of it. And even if, if Russell Wilson was healthy this year, we'd be previewing a playoff game right now. I tend to agree with that. Yeah. So I, I, I don't, I'm surprised that we got here, but I don't think it makes sense to move on from P. Carroll. To quote you. Crack it! On that note, thanks for listening. Thanks. I want it to be the 2022 football season right the fuck now. I hate that you have to wait so long. Soccer has it right. Mm, but have you considered that the entire summer will be over by then? It does. Ah. Uh... Also, our thrilling live show in TBD. How did Katie do at Wordle? Eh, not bad, not bad. This was a pretty easy Wordle today. It took me a second once I had, because I had like the bring correct. And I forget what I guessed. Bring, I think, was what I guessed. And then it took me a second once that was untrue. And then it was like, oh. Uh, drink. Uh, yeah, I can't even remember what I did. I had the D and the I on the first word. I don't remember what word it was though. And then I was like, "Wait, oh, what is what is your opening word?" I've changed it. I literally cannot remember what I did today. I've I done use, range for most days. I use raise to try to get raise. the vowels. That's not a bad one. Um, I mean, I read the ringer's story about it before I started playing. It said to use raise. See, I don't, I don't want to. No, it didn't necessarily say to use that. There's, there's like fringe words that are actually the most valuable. That's not fun though. Come on. I agree. <clears throat> like, what the fuck did I use? I really can't remember, but it, it definitely started with a D and then you get the first letter and the third letter, you could just type in the first letter is pretty nice. Yeah. I didn't, I don't know if you saw mine, but I had only wrong and green. I had no letters in the wrong places, which was very nice looking. I mean, I do like when you can kind of narrow down where a second letter is based on where it is. Do you think there'll come a time in like six months we'll be like, remember when people were playing Wordle? I definitely agree with the tweet that was like, it's an average game with amazing social media sharing. I, they only let you do one a day too, which is really nice. It does, it, it rations it. Yeah, you're just, that's exactly how much Wordle you want. <laughs> right? If you yeah. could do a Sporkle quiz per day, if you could wake up and just do one <laughs> Sporkle quiz. 
If there was only one Sporkle quiz that everyone did, yes, it'd be pretty fun, be right? I mean, some days it would be worse than others. When it was the sports day, I'd be pretty excited. Yeah, if it was Kansas City Chiefs quarterbacks, nineteen sixty to on, you'd be like fucking Elvis <laughs> Gerbach in there, right? Lynn Dawson, <laughs> Joe Montana. Uh, they had. I was when I was looking up, um, uh, Stetson Bennett the fourth. At the bottom, it just lists like Georgia quarterbacks by last name, which is kind of fun. <laughs> scrolling through the, or looking through them yeah georgia bulldogs starting quarterbacks and you're just like wait who of these people do i know uh and you're kind of going back and it's like daniels okay that was jt daniels mathis no fucking clue jake Fromm, jacob Eason, somebody named lambert i kind of remember that guy mason no idea aaron murray that was his name cox yeah, that's right. no idea stafford tarashinsky Shockley, you know. Oh, DJ Shockley, right? DJ Shockley, he played for another team, right? He transferred. I don't, I don't know that. David Green, Seahawks legend, David Green. Wow, I have forgotten. <laughs> I have totally erased from my memory David Green's Seahawks career. I think he was the all, call, college's all-time leading passer for a while. Uh, Quincy Carter, that's nice. Carter, right? I want to call him yeah. Andre Carter. Bobo, Mike Bobo. Yeah, I definitely remember him. Like Bobo. Like Philip not Bobo, that... right? Philip Bobo? No. Mike Bobo is his name. It's Robert nice. Michael Bobo. But like, it's funny because he seems like, like when you're looking at quarterbacks not that long ago, but he already has been a head coach and been fired since then. <laughs> He's the head coach of Colorado State 2015. Yeah, Philip Bobo was a wide receiver for wazoo i don't think they're related at all but that is a person and then you're just like going back and you're like ward who's that oh heinz ward that's pretty fun oh Eric yeah Zaire. nice tally jackson williams lastinger blue buck blue goff is that jared goff's dad i don't think so and it's like i it was kind of fun to look at fran tarkenton is that i had no idea fran tarkenton went to georgia Anyway, it's sort of like presidents when, like, when you're looking in these long periods of time. Well, Jared like, Goff's dad played Major League Baseball in the 90s. I had oh. no idea. What's he, his name? He advanced through Seattle's minor league system. Jerry Goff. Jerry Goff, huh? Yeah. There you go. All right. Well, anyway, that, I was like, I'd do a sporkle quiz on this. I would do terrible, <laughs> but I would do it. <laughs> you would enjoy it, for sure. One per day. Jerry Goff. David Green was the winningest quarterback in Division I history Mm. at the time. Until Colt McCoy broke his record. And oh, he was the all-time leader in yards in the SEC until Aaron Murray broke that. So kept that in the Georgia family. Georgia was passing. Georgia be passing. We took David Green in the third round. I think he was pretty instantly bad. At one point, Coach Mike Holmgren expressed his dissatisfaction with Green's progress as a quarterback. 